Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, November 20th, 2023, the 1034th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So on Friday, we wrapped up a week of discussing all the ways the regime seems to be in full-blown panic at all levels of the party of false decorum. Everyone in the uniparty, particularly in the uniparty left, is freaking out. Everyone down from the most basic child-brained standard issue villager, totally disconnected from reality, all the way up 
to the very best people, the philanthropists and the globalists, the people like George Soros and Klaus Schwab and bankers and corporate titans. After three years of thinking that Trump and his movement were going to go away, that the populist movements around the world would die out and that the global regime would seize back the control they had lost, it seems to be dawning on people of all variety that that didn't happen. And whatever they were told by the television about how things were going to go, that didn't happen either. And what we're dealing with is a meltdown on a pretty significant scale. And all signs point to that getting so much worse. I've been saying for the longest time, this thing will eventually touch everyone. And I am still firmly in that belief. Now, as we get started today, I want to direct everyone's attention to a post on the substack of Naomi Wolf. Naomi Wolf is a former liberal, former Democrat advisor, former feminist who has realized through the course of the pandemic and the years that followed that all those people are absolutely insane. All of those people in her social set, her social strata have absolutely lost their minds. And she is in a very similar social circle on the East Coast to the one I was in on the West Coast. People who are prominent in given fields, people who are genuinely making decisions that influence and shape culture and our society. And she has been charting her awakening process over the years, a process that I find to be very much in parallel with my own, differing in important ways, of course, but the same kind of process. She has done incredible work going through the Pfizer documents, built up a big team around her with Steve Bannon and the War Room's help to go through all these documents and find what the pharma companies had lied about, the evidence that they wanted hidden for the next 75 years. And she's also just a very astute observer of culture and society. And she wrote a piece in her Substack that came out on Friday and received a lot of attention over the weekend. The headline of her article is Among the Rich. Now, I highly recommend that everyone read this and share it, particularly with standard issue uniparty left villagers, people who want to be elite someday themselves and who might be realizing it's not all it's cracked up to be. Those people are the ideal target market for this piece. Now, as most of you probably know, I left Hollywood in early 2021. So I've been gone for almost three years, and I didn't really return at all for the first year and a half. I did go back last August, 2022. And what I noticed, I think I shared on the podcast and certainly on various live streams, that my impression was that Hollywood had essentially turned into The Walking Dead. People were zombified. They just walked around like there was no point to anything. And I came away thinking, it seems like all of these people understand they've been tricked, but they don't exactly know how, and none of them want to admit it. And they don't want to like work it out together because they're afraid of talking to one another about the things they know to be true. Because what they've seen over the past few years is if you admit those things that everyone knows to be true, you can get punished rather severely. And in fact, most of the people in these social circles know that so well because they've been involved in targeting who gets punished and then meeting out the punishment themselves. So they know what would be coming back in their direction. Now, it's been 15 months 
since I was out there. And I'm sure that things are trending in the same directions. I'm hearing that things are trending in the same direction. Despite that, there is actually a movement and it's by younger people out there to just tell the truth about all this stuff at this point. They're not doing the politically correct stuff. They're moving on from the whole thing. It doesn't have the cultural capital anymore. It's not cool to be woke even in Hollywood at this point. And of course, wokeness is only the surface level, right? Wokeness is what they display. That's the virtue signaling to others. Hey, we're all on the same page. See, we're doing your woke stuff. Now just let us do what we want. They're not just abandoning that stuff. They really are changing in their mentality from what I hear. I haven't been on the ground there in a while. But what Naomi Wolf describes in this article seems to absolutely align with what I have observed in my own circles and what I hear about the development of people's ideas. So I want to share a few passages of her recent Substack. Patrick Gunnels has read this article on Reading Epic Threads and done another couple Naomi Wolf articles on there in just the last few days. So Reading Epic Threads, you can find him on Rumble or Podcast Networks. But if you want to listen to her articles rather than read them yourself, Patrick does a wonderful job as always. But let's go through a couple passages here before we get into a weekend of massive news on many fronts. She writes, everything felt different in the before world, before 2020, before lockdowns and masking and mandates. There was a robust, fairly healthy city outside of these gatherings. It was a city that these people felt that they influenced, cared for, and even led. There were schools educating children adequately and businesses employing people freely and trains moving to cultural events and family gatherings and museums and libraries, all showcasing an intact American culture. The same group now, no doubt, had the same access as before, the same resources, the same networks, but now they were lords and ladies of a dung heap. The society and culture outside this elegant interior had collapsed. She goes on. Over and above the collapse of civility and of safety was a sense among the elites of what felt like defeat. They did not manage to lead their nation through a crisis with integrity or even with basic facts at their disposal. And now in that assemblage, it felt as if there was among them a sense of loss of purpose, if not outright shame. Perhaps it was because this group had been taken in so thoroughly and was now slowly waking up to that reality. Maybe people even in quote unquote that world are becoming aware of the fact that they stayed indoors for 14 months with no reason that they missed Thanksgivings and Hanukkahs with family for no reason and that they masked and imposed masks on their visiting grandchildren for no reason. Maybe there was a sense of dispiritedness and even of depression in that room because perhaps even they know that they took something into their bodies that can hurt or someday kill them. That is what it felt like. A bonfire that had been mighty, that had flung its radiance across the globe, was dying. It felt like embers of an old fire collapsing in upon themselves and going cindery. She writes about these ladies who had devoted themselves to a lifetime of displaying fashion, now just wearing casual clothes and big sweaters like it was no longer worth trying at all. 
And like men who postured as these great American titans as if they were in a Tom Wolfe novel, now just understanding that they were feckless weaklings, essentially. She writes, now they too seem markedly aged. Rather than trying to top one another with their latest acquisition or achievement, these same former alphas sat companionably side by side with one another, old men chatting. Pretty young women flickered by, passing glasses of wine. Almost no one glanced their way. Above all, it was subdued, rudderless. The great confidence, the great pride was no more. How could that be? Maybe this had something to do with it. This whole stratum had been bamboozled. And shame of shames, they had been hoodwinked, not by their own kind, not by cultural elites or by thought leaders or by financial masters of the universe in the greatest city on earth, but rather they were duped by Brooklyn-born parvenus like Dr. Anthony Fauci, by rabid Newton, Massachusetts soccer moms such as Dr. Rochelle Walensky by the monomaniacal Dr. Rachel Levine of Wakefield, Mass., former Secretary of Health for Pennsylvania. Wow. These second-rate people had collapsed their magnificent world. May, they seemed slowly to be realizing, have killed their loved ones, and may already have imposed into their bodies the substance that could someday murder them. She goes on, to describe how people would come up to her at these events, people she didn't know, people she'd never met, people who don't even introduce themselves first, who just start spilling all of their health complaints onto her because they know that she's the anti-vax lady. So they come up and they share their experience wanting, I guess, some sort of catharsis or something. And Naomi Wolf ends her substack this way. It is so, so tragic and weird. Perhaps this abrupt confessional is related to the somber mood in the apartment I described above. I knew this day would come, though. In 2021, people on the evil, stupid, selfish, unvaccinated side would remind one another on social media and in person not to be too angry and not to give up completely on our delusional friends and loved ones and colleagues across the divide. People who were at the time being so very cruel and excluding to us because someday they would need us to care for them and to help them heal. What do we conclude now? That our help is needed, that it is cleanup time, that it is rebuilding time. All we can do is prosecute the guilty and bring information and comfort and aid to the sick and fight so that what happened to us never happens again and never happens to someone innocent. All we can do is love and wait and bring what help we can and say how sorry we are for their and for their family's losses and respond with greater kindness than was meted out to us and ask again what their names are and listen to their grief and hurt and fear and listen and listen again. And cheers to Naomi Wolf if she wants to take that approach. My approach is not exactly going to be that. I have the sense that there is going to be this great urge primarily emanating from this very class of wannabe elites to say to everyone that we need to forgive all these people who were bamboozled because it's not their fault. They were bamboozled. I am concerned, though, that that approach is going to actually be incompatible with the goal of ensuring that something like this never happens again. 
I think that people need to realize their role and their responsibility in all of this. And it needs to be admitted. We do not need to make a society-wide standard that all of these people simply get amnesty. We had this conversation about a year ago because there was that Atlantic article, someone writing about how she thought that all of the most extreme COVID people should be granted amnesty for pushing, for instance, children to wear masks, children to miss school, entire industries to be put out of work to the point where their businesses and maybe even industries crash and never come back. And they were willing to extend amnesty to some of those people who weren't as caring about COVID as they were. But none of that was about reconciling with the people who were actually right. They just want the free pass. They want to just put all of COVID in the past. We talked recently about how progress was a goal in itself for these people. Advancing down some line is progress. Progress is good. The new version is always going to be the best. That's part of the philosophy. Of course, they don't want to look back because if you look back, you'll see, oh, they were the ones who made all the mistakes and said, hey, don't worry, we've got this. Give us full control and all the money and we will do everything right. And then they failed again for the infinitieth time in a row. They don't want to look back. And many of them are going to try to continue to advance forward without ever admitting that any of that stuff was wrong. They are going to say to people, hey, we were following what the experts said. They had the best ideas on how to do this. We followed along with them, knowing that they had the best ideas. And it just turned out that those ideas didn't work this time. But these people are still experts. We were still smart for following them. And you're a bad person if you don't welcome us into the fold and admit that you were also wrong. And then we can all come together and agree that all of us were wrong in the same way. And I would love to have this conversation with Naomi Wolf at some point, And hopefully we will actually get to talk about all these things one day. But I am concerned that just simply granting amnesty to all these people and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine that. Yeah, I know you didn't know. I get it. We all. Yeah, we all didn't know. Sure. It seems to me that's how you make sure that things like this do happen again, because people are left in these positions of influence and power and are not held accountable for the role they played in what has actually happened in many people's lives, and you just allow them to maintain their reputation as a serious individual and all of it, how do you create a situation where people don't just listen to them do the same things again next time? It's not like anyone thinks they're not going to try again. These people could be right back to doing that in six months. In fact, plenty of them are hoping for the opportunity. They just tried a preview of a new pandemic a couple months back. Now, I'm not saying they'll be successful. I don't think they will be successful, but they're going to try again. And if it's not on a pandemic, it'll be on something else. The way to make sure these things never happen again is to make sure people learn the lesson. And if you just move on and accept them back into the fold with no recognition from them, what was actually wrong about that whole thing, you're basically just encouraging them to do it again. When the response should actually be, Silence, communist. We'll take it from here. It's all good. We're not trying to punish you. We're not trying to throw you in jail. You're just not allowed to make decisions anymore. Why? 
Because the last time you did that, you destroyed the world for three straight years and still kept pretending you were correct. And a lot of those people are doubling down right now because that is their response to this panic that they can feel rising all around them. They're not going to admit that it was all wrong because they can't admit that. If they admit that, then everything they know is wrong. And of course it is. But admitting that means you actually have to change your life. It means a whole lot of fundamental, foundational beliefs that you have about life, that you have about existence, about your place in the world are just wrong, which means you have to let them go and you have to start building again from nothing. And it's a lot of work and most people don't want to do it. You got to walk all the way back down that path from whence you came, get all the way back to the beginning and then turn around and start walking down a different path. Most of these people just simply aren't going to do it because they've invested all their time on this earth in developing and then projecting a personal image and reputation as a strategy for gaining more wealth, status, and power within the party of false decorum. The people who are destined to have the hardest time in doing that, of course, are elites and wannabe elites because those are the people for whom the system has paid off the most in the way it is. Normal people don't have that same problem. And normal people are beginning to come to their senses. We talked about one person who's not normal last week, Michael Rappaport, the actor and comedian who everyone would have forgotten about by now if he weren't one of social media's most prominent Trump haters. Well, he's even reversing his position. We talked about that last week. He put out a video where he said, if it comes down to Joe Biden and Donald Trump, I think I'm going to have to go with Donald Trump. Is that sincere? Hey, maybe, maybe he's just trying to pile on Joe Biden so they can get rid of Joe Biden. Maybe he thinks that Big Mike or Gavin Newsom or Gretchen Whitmer or someone has a better chance of beating Donald Trump than Joe Biden does. But as you might suspect, some of his most hardcore leftist followers are online saying, oh, we got to block this guy. Everyone should unfollow this guy. He's a traitor to our cause now. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But the country is moving in that direction regardless. And we've gotten to hear some of the freak out from our cultural elites in the mainstream media over the weekend. This is Steve Kornacki, who we mentioned last week, and Kristen Welker, the moderator of that final Trump debate in 2020 and the moderator of the recent fake debate in the GOP's fake primary. In addition to being NBC's very serious journalist who goes out and interviews, for instance, President Donald J. Trump. But here they are talking about Joe Biden's poll numbers. Here it is. Wow. Donald Trump, we have at 46 percent. Biden, 44. And this is significant because this is the first time in the history of our poll that former President Trump beats President Biden still within the margin of error, but still significant. Yeah, it's 2019, 2020, when Trump was president, he trailed all of them. This year, he's trailed all of them in our poll. First time in more than a dozen polls, we've seen a result like this. Some of the other ingredients that go into that, Biden has long had an advantage over Trump on likability. Look, at the start of this year, 39% said they had a positive view of Biden, barely 30 of Trump. We've seen consistently a gap like this. Now, the gap is gone. Mm. 
36 positive on both, and actually Biden one point more negative than Trump. That's been a significant advantage for Biden. Our poll says that advantage, at least for now, may be gone. And we talked about younger voters on foreign policy, and it's true on a host of other topics. Disaffected with Joe Biden, we have 46% for Trump, 42% for Biden among the youngest voters. The youngest voters in the 2020 election were Biden plus 26. This could be a massive sea change. And if you take a look here, too, all, everybody sort of says, hey, I'm not too nuts about the possibility of this matchup. So we said, let's measure this one way. And here's how we did it. Biden against an unnamed Republican. This is just a referendum on Biden, basically. And look at this. He goes from being in a, a dogfight with Trump to being double digits wow. behind. But then flip it around. Trump against an unnamed Democrat. Trump goes from leading against Biden to being down by six points against the Democrat. Just a fascinating look at the state of the race with just a little under a year to go. Steve Kornacki, great stuff. Thank you Thanks. so much for being here. Now, to be clear, as always, polling a year out is a little ridiculous and polls are a little ridiculous. Polls are adjusted to election results. Election results are fraudulent. All of it falls in line with voter registration numbers that are fraudulent. And all of that falls in line with census numbers, which we also know <laughs> are fraudulent. But that does not mean that we can't understand directionality in some of these narratives. We can absolutely understand that these numbers might not exactly represent the sentiment of the American public, but we can still see motion over time in a direction that seems to map on to our normal experience and our normal interactions with people out in the world. They seem to be waking up to the same things we've been talking about now for years. They seem to be coming around to understanding that Donald Trump actually is the best possible president for this country and that Joe Biden, who they have supported for all this time, is the worst. And again, you don't have to have actually voted for Joe Biden to be supporting Joe Biden. If you are supporting the legitimacy of Joe Biden as president, you are a Biden supporter. At some point along the line, you decided to bend the knee to the regime. You decided to remain in the party of false decorum. You didn't want to take the blowback for saying that our elections were stolen. That's fine. It's your public image and your reputation that you put on the line in making that decision. The future is not going to look kindly on that decision, but them's the breaks. And all of these people could admit the mistake, become redeemable communists, and we could all move forward in peace and harmony. Now, people aren't only coming in the direction of Donald Trump because Trump is better on the issues, although there is certainly that too. And that is how the media is trying to portray it to everyone. People didn't like what Joe Biden did on this or that issue. They trust Trump more on that. And so they're kind of going in Trump's direction because these issues are really important to them. And they think that Trump is better all told on these issues than Joe Biden would be. But then they remind you if it's a Democrat other than Joe Biden, well, then they would prefer the Democrat over Trump, to which I say, go ahead and try some other Democrats and see how that works. You're not going to be too happy with the results. There is no way that Donald Trump is winning 18 to 34 year olds just because they think he's a little better on this or that issue. They're realizing that they've been lied to and all the people in power just attempted to destroy most particularly that group of people's lives.
They were the ones who were mandated to take vaccines in college or in their jobs, their first jobs as adults out in the world. They're seeing their financial futures absolutely obliterated, and they're being lied to about all of it all the time. They have been sold a culture that just really doesn't have a lot to offer. Their art is terrible. The collective morality being thrust upon them is terrible. They're obsessed with identity building and image building, and nothing in life really makes much sense or seems to have much meaning. Biden and the Democrats are losing their appeal with minority ethnic groups. What other parts of their base are they going to have left? Trump's base is going absolutely nowhere. We get all the talk about them replacing Joe Biden with someone else, and maybe they'll get to the point where the country views him as so corrupt that he cannot still be the option. Maybe something will happen and Joe Biden will have a health scare and just can't go on. They have to replace him with someone else. And they probably still believe they have plenty of time to accomplish this. We shall see. But for now, they're still trying to support the Joe Biden presidency. This is Senator Richard Blumenthal, also on Meet the Press this weekend. First time President Biden is getting beaten by former President Trump within the margin of error. Part of what's dragging down his poll numbers is a lack of support among younger voters for his handling of the Israel-Hamas war. How concerned are you about these numbers? And what do you think the president needs to do? Do you think he's still the best candidate for 2024? I think he is the best candidate for 2024. I have confidence that he will overcome those poll numbers. We're a year away. But remember, even more important than the polls are what voters are doing. In the most recent elections in Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, they showed that they prefer the Biden record of accomplishment over the mega extremism. Complete and total denial. They prefer the Biden record of accomplishment over the record of MAGA extremism. Or maybe he said mega extremism. Morning Joe had Chris Matthews, formerly of hardball fame, on this morning to talk about how ultimately the whole election next year is going to come down to abortion. It's the party of people who want to make women suffer versus the party of people who are standing up for women's rights by allowing them to kill as many babies as they want. That'll be the deciding issue for everybody. So don't worry about these poll numbers. Don't worry about the fact that Joe Biden and the Democrats, the uniparty left, have lost young voters, black voters, Hispanic voters, and are now losing Jewish voters, women voters, suburban voters. They're not going to have anything left at the end. They will only have desperate wannabe elites who cannot admit that they've been fooled, that they were wrong the entire time. They're going to go down with this ship because they think that the chances of success, minute though they may be, are worth it. They're having an existential crisis here. And because they can't even conceive of admitting that they were wrong, walking back down that path in the direction from whence they came, turning around and starting all over again, since they can't imagine that, they're just going to go down with the ship. They think, hey, maybe we got a uh, one or 2% chance of turning this thing around. And if that works, hey, we can say we were right the whole time and people will believe us. And I guess that's what we're going to do because otherwise 
We got to admit that we were wrong about all this and it all goes away anyway. They would rather sell out completely for that tiny, tiny, tiny chance that maybe it'll all work out for them. And that is exactly where the Ron DeSantis campaign is coming from right now as well. Ron was out there yesterday doing the Sunday cable news shows. And his new thing now is to talk about how Donald Trump would be a lame duck president as soon as he entered office because he would only have four years, whereas Ron would have eight years. Is that a sale to anyone, to people who want Ron for zero years? Oh, oh, we're going to get eight years of the thing that no one wants now? Oh, well, that is quite a deal, Ron. Rather than one portion of the thing that we actually want, we get two portions of the thing that we fully oppose. Gosh, what a deal. Thank you for proposing it, Ron. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. A second term of Trump doing Trump things with the potential to be kingmaker and allow someone from in the MAGA movement to emerge as the heir apparent is far preferable to installing Ron DeSantis through a rigged election and expecting him to fix anything. The guy is just a zero. He just is. I've been doing this for over a year now. Everybody got mad at me 13 months ago when it started. Why are you being divisive? Why are you tearing down the GOP's next rising star? Well, this is why. You see why now. The guy is awful and his supporters are even worse. And now, of course, there are calls from parts of the Republican Party, parts of the MAGA movement for Ron DeSantis to drop out and stop with this ridiculous charade, stop wasting people's time, stop wasting people's money, and stop trying to chip away at Donald Trump. Now, I'm not worried about any of those things. They can waste all the time and money they want. They can attack Trump all they want. It does not make Trump look bad. It makes them look bad. They haven't figured it out yet because the only people whose opinions they care about are the ones at the cocktail party that Naomi Wolf described. These people want to be in that social set. They want to be taken seriously by that social set. They cannot be taken seriously by that social set if they publicly support Donald Trump. So that is where they draw the line. They cannot publicly support Donald Trump. They want to be taken seriously as conservatives, so they express all of the other quote-unquote conservative ideals, but they will not support Donald Trump because supporting Donald Trump gets them kicked out of the party of false decorum, and they are still attempting to raise themselves up and ascend the ladder within the party of false decorum. They are not trying to save America. They are not trying to get Republicans elected in rigged elections. They are trying to continue and preserve their own personal position and assent within the party of false decorum and absolutely nothing else. They are now explicitly saying that Donald Trump called for an insurrection at the Capitol on J6. And this is after, this is in response to Mike Johnson's release of the security footage from the Capitol. They're now saying that despite everything this video says, the Proud Boys still came to overturn the results of the election as Donald Trump asked. Therefore, Donald Trump was responsible for all of this. Justin Hart, a man who was on 
this very podcast back in the summer of 2020. He is now a full fledged DeSantis simp and going full nuclear retard about all of this. He's actually blaming Trump for the insurrection that didn't happen. They are willing to embrace and incorporate every single narrative from the uniparty left. They are absolutely in every way making it obvious that they are the controlled opposition. Now, again, if Ron is kayfabe, if Ron is an op, a pro-Trump red team op, then Ron can be separated from all of this. But it's pretty clear what's going on with these guys. These are the same arguments being made by the left, the same points for the same reasons. Why is Ron sticking in it? All the supporters are saying, let us vote. Let us vote. Hey, supporters, your vote doesn't count. If you're going to lie about it because you need to in order to justify your support for someone other than the duly elected president, you should at least stop lying to yourself about it. Let us vote is not a compelling argument. Okay, so go vote. If it's legitimate, you're going to get blown out. No one cares about Ron DeSantis except for wannabe elites on the uniparty right. And those people are so embarrassing at this point. They are more clueless than wannabe elites on the uniparty left who are at least smart enough to be panicking publicly. The wannabe elites on the uniparty right still think things are going their way because they're still in that little bubble. Ron DeSantis is sticking around for what I imagine to be probably four, five, six more months, he's going to stick around through the primary process because they're hoping that something happens to Donald Trump. Either he is imprisoned by Joe Biden and people turn against him at that point, not going to happen, or something happens in the world that makes it physically impossible for Trump to go on. They are sitting there hoping for the worst so that they can be the backup option. But the truth is none of MAGA is ever going to support Ron DeSantis. Under any terms, there is no chance that MAGA will ever vote for Ron DeSantis for anything. I doubt that Ron could ever win again as Florida governor. If he faced a MAGA primary in a legitimate election, I bet he would lose that election in Florida. These people are in so deep that they continue to double down. Texas Governor Greg Abbott over the weekend introduced and endorsed Donald Trump at a speech Trump gave at the Texas-Mexico border. And the response from the DeSantis simps was to say that that endorsement doesn't matter. The endorsements of Chris Sununu and Kim Reynolds in New Hampshire and Iowa, those are the biggest, most important political endorsements that have ever happened because that's what's going to allow Ron DeSantis to quote unquote win in the primaries in Iowa and New Hampshire. Does anybody believe that? That the people of Iowa and the people of New Hampshire are going to listen to their governors about who to support? They don't listen to those endorsements and think, oh, well, if the governor says it, I suppose we should do it. They listen to those endorsements and think, oh, wow, my governor's a traitor. I thought I had a good one, but apparently I don't. That is what a Ron DeSantis endorsement does at this point. And when people call these DeSantis simps out online, they pretend that they're being attacked and then they will write these long soliloquies 
about how regardless of the polls and regardless of the endorsements and regardless of what everyone thinks, Ron DeSantis is still the best guy for the job. And they know that now more than ever. And they can actually feel that the voters are coming to understand it as well. It's all so ridiculous. They are trying to emotionalize their way into people thinking that they're smart and right and faithful Americans. But then you just ask them, hey, do you believe Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes? And the whole thing starts to melt down. They have members who admit that the elections were stolen and they still believe that Ron is the only guy who can do it because Donald Trump, he's just not a serious character and his supporters. They're just rude and disgusting. Oh, they're bullies. Oh, they're so mean. Now they are actually saying that Trump supporters attack women. And by that, they mean Jenna Ellis and Tracy Beans and some of the other female DeSantis simps. If you say bad things about them, all of the dudes in the DeSantis simp movement immediately become woke feminists from like eight years ago on the uniparty left and show everyone that they are defending women from these bad, bad men. It is unbelievable to me that these people even pretend to have the fortitude to take on the uniparty left. These people are still tickle fighting the uniparty left while they're becoming them themselves. So I mentioned that on Friday, Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, released the security footage from the very violent insurrection. And the responses have been about what you would expect. It's obvious now to virtually everyone that the official story about January 6th, the very violent insurrection, was a lie from the very beginning. On the day of the event, the mass media, the mainstream media, presented us a view of what was happening that was mostly, if not completely, detached from the reality on the ground. We were shown a spectacle and then misled about the meaning of the spectacle. And now these standard issue villagers are being given a much clearer picture of what happened that day. Most of this stuff was stuff we've known the entire time. But now when the video goes out there, it has a new air of legitimacy because it has been accepted into the mainstream. It is now safe for standard issue villagers to discuss these subjects, despite the fact that all of this breaking news is nearly three years old, and many of us have known it the entire time. Most of us have known since January 6th, 2021, that there were elements of the federal government and the global regime involved in instigating this incident. We know that Donald Trump was censored. His messages were taken down. We know that hundreds of thousands of peaceful and patriotic Americans were maligned as domestic terrorists in a clearly orchestrated operation. This was America's Reichstag fire, a false flag event meant for the regime to seize power within this country and be able to persecute its political opponents with the general approval of mainstream society. It was also used as the justification for calling any discussion of election fraud dangerous. The very violent insurrection was what substantiated the notion that telling the big lie in itself was putting society in danger. The telling and the repeating 
of this primarily fictional narrative about the very violent insurrection had real world consequences. It destroyed families and relationships. It destroyed business relationships. They censored Americans. They robbed people of their freedom. And we continue to have political prisoners, which Donald Trump just now calls hostages as a result of all that day's fabrications. And you have to remember, Nancy Pelosi was right in the middle of all of that. She was in charge of the Capitol Police and the security of the Capitol. And she had her daughter there with a documentary film crew so they could film all of these proceedings and make Nancy Pelosi and her co-conspirators look like the heroes of this event. All of that is falling apart, and the meltdown, as you might imagine, has ensued. Here is Friar Cuck himself, Jamie Raskin. Running says, you know, this is footage that your committee decided not to release. So what's your reaction to the speaker, Speaker Johnson, deciding to do so? And why do you think he's doing it? Well, on the latter question, Speaker Johnson is clearly on the run from the uh, mega, the extreme mega caucus, um, Chip Roy, and the strongest pro-Trump elements. I mean, you know, he he was only able to get through his um, his continuing resolution proposal because of Democratic votes. And I think they're saying he's got two strikes of three they're going to give him. So he's already looking at a motion to vacate. So this was clearly an effort to placate the right wing, which has been making this absurd demand for a very long time. And so now we have on a totally unilateral partisan basis, the Republicans caving in and, um, you know, opening up to the world what they allowed Tucker Carlson to come see. Obviously, Tucker Carlson did his best to torture out of tens of thousands of hours of footage, some kind of concocted story, which, of course, no went nowhere. Um, we we went through all of that. We had uh, more than a thousand witnesses come and talk to the January 6th committee, all of it on a bipartisan basis in search of the truth, not in search of lies. And most of the witnesses, of course, were Republicans, people in the Trump administration, people in the Trump family. And we delivered a complete report beyond the, the partisan nature of it. It's a, truly a security risk what they're doing. The reason why the Capitol Police have opposed releasing tens of thousands of hours from every House office building, every Senate office building, every part of the Capitol is because it's like giving a diagram to future insurrectionists and terrorists and anybody who wants to invade our body. So if the speaker thinks it can be done safely or securely, why doesn't he rely on the Capitol Police to determine what should be given out and what shouldn't be given out? Because that's mm-hmm. The principal concern here, which is security. The principal concern is security. Jamie Raskin believes that Mike Johnson should not have allowed this footage to get out to the public because now future insurrectionists and terrorists might be able to plot their course of how to insurrect the Capitol based on all their newfound knowledge of camera placement. On the Capitol grounds, like they are Catherine Zeta Jones, like dodging through security lasers. Oh, if I can just twist and limbo my way through these security lasers, well, then I can break into this bank vault. I mean, come on, Friar Cuck. No one's buying that. Who is going to buy that?
especially once we know the first insurrection is fake. Hey guys, uh, this video shows the insurrection is fake, but we're worried about another one of these happening. Wait, another fake insurrection. Well, who's going to stage that fake insurrection since you guys staged the last time. Oh, it's going to be a real insurrection this time because now MAGA extremists know how to insurrect the Capitol. Should they bother using weapons this time since they didn't bother with any last time? Of course, all of this is ridiculous. And let's consider the timing. So Mike Johnson agreed last week to go forward with that continuing resolution that's going to fund the government through the third week of January and some of it through the first week of February, meaning that it's unlikely they're going to get an omnibus spending package between this little break they're taking for the Thanksgiving holiday and the end of the year. Now, they're trying to bring Mike Johnson back and get him to pass a Ukraine and Israel joint spending bill. They actually have Janet Yellen, of all people, out on TV saying how that's really, really important, as if the entire economy will collapse if they don't get Ukraine and Israel spending bills. But Johnson pushed that continuing resolution through. And everybody has now gone home. And after everybody went home, he went ahead and brought out the January 6th videos. Now, on Friday, we also got that decision in Colorado, in the Colorado courts that said Donald Trump will not be taken off the Colorado ballots because the president does not fit the definition of officer in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So on that little technical point about the language of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, Donald Trump cannot be taken off the ballot in Colorado. Now, is that a win? Okay, to some extent, it's a win. But the decision for that case was nearly 100 pages long, and the bulk of what the judge wrote was laying out the case that it is now a factual claim of truth that Donald Trump really was part of an insurrection. It's just that this little piece of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment doesn't apply to him. So what they're going to do now is wage a lawfare effort. They're going to appeal that decision all the way up to the Supreme Court to get the Supreme Court to decide whether or not the president does qualify as an offer there. And they are going to run with the notion that this judge has decided as a matter of fact that Donald Trump actually did commit an insurrection against the country. Or in Michael Ludig's new interpretation of this, he committed an insurrection against the Constitution. So from a lawfare perspective, the regime, the Uniparty, still believes it got what it wanted. And that's probably true because that Colorado judge is a committed member of the uniparty left. Trump didn't get taken off the ballot, fine, good, whatever, but they believe that they have things lined up so they live to fight another day and they plan on continuing to fight along these lines. Whatever it takes to disqualify Trump and the uniparty right, as we just discussed, is more than happy to help them because they want to fill that power vacuum. They want to figure out a way to get rid of Donald Trump. They're happy to let the uniparty left do that dirty work for them in the courts 
try to send Donald Trump off to prison so they can say Joe Biden is so evil. And the only way to fix this grave injustice is with riggedy meatball. So go vote for the meatball. And because these people are incompetent and believe that everyone else, not them, everyone else is stupid. They think that that'll actually work. That's not going to work, but that is the attempt. Now, Raskin is saying that the MAGA extremists now have two strikes against Speaker Mike Johnson. And if he does something to upset them again, he could see a motion to vacate. And again, good. Everyone should have the option to bring that motion to vacate. But if Speaker Mike Johnson has made it impossible for an omnibus to be passed in December and he got everyone to go home so he could more easily release the J6 tapes, well, then he's doing a pretty good job. Now, we don't need to get all normie about this and make Mike Johnson our new hero and think he can do no wrong. He is currently on a path that we can accept for now. We can observe and think, okay, maybe he's got something going on here. I'll give him a little more time to see if this is what I think it might be. And if it is, then we can give him a pat on the back and say, hey, good going, Mike. But that remains to be seen. It depends on whether or not they bring up this omnibus package in December and then pass it or bring up a new package for joint Israel and Ukraine funding. If that happens, hey, man, all bets are off. He's not there to be our little friend. He's there to do a job. His professed faith and goodness are wonderful. But if they're not applied in the real world toward doing the right thing, then he's not the right man for the job. And so all that remains to be seen. As you might suspect, the members of the sham January 6th committee were out there defending their work, defending the idea that it really was a very violent insurrection, despite the fact that anyone now can see that absolutely wasn't true. Everyone is being encouraged to remember what they saw and how they felt that day while sitting at home and watching things play out on television the mainstream media deciding exactly what it was everyone was going to see and giving them a prepackaged interpretation for what they were seeing. Now they're all essentially being told that despite what you're being shown right now, despite what you are seeing, despite the fact that you know it to be a true representation of what happened that day, what we want you to do is remember back to nearly three years ago what you saw and how you felt then and hold on to that. Remember when we ran you back through all of it through our sham January 6th committee, a committee that, by the way, was not formed according to the rules of the Congress, a committee that is every bit as illegitimate as the fake president. And we will eventually get to that point. And then all the subpoenas and all everything else, the Bannon stuff, the Navarro stuff, all of it will be null and void. The committee is an actual sham. It's not just a talking point or an opinion. It's not hyperbolic. The committee was improperly formed. It does not just get the illusion of power forever, particularly when those people are no longer in power to keep pretending. We can't just expect that for always and forever, everyone will agree that that sham committee, that improperly formed committee was Nonetheless, totally properly formed and that their subpoenas, etc., carry the full weight of the Congress. They don't. And so, of course, they're all scrambling. Liz Cheney posted on Friday after the videos were released. 
Here's some January 6th video for you. And she had people dressed as MAGA supporters fighting with the cops. Video that everyone had already seen before. Is that video going to outweigh all the new video they're seeing right now? Cops shooting things into peaceful crowds and inciting actual violence. The cops, the Capitol Hill police. Are they going to show the fist bumps and the high fives and the backpats between police and supposed rioters? Liz Cheney just wants everyone to remember the old thing. And Senator Mike Lee actually took her on on the X platform, formerly Twitter. He said, Liz, we've seen footage like that a million times. You made sure we saw that and nothing else. It's the other stuff. What you deliberately hid from us that we find so upsetting. Nice try. P.S. How many of these guys are feds as if you'd ever tell us. He also posted, we need to investigate the J6 committee. And of course they need to be investigated. It was a sham committee who released a ridiculous report. They controlled all the testimony. There was no counter to anything they said or did. The only air of legitimacy they projected was that there were two Republicans on the committee, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. They said, it's a bipartisan committee and stupid people actually think that that matters and that that makes the committee legitimate. It doesn't. But nonetheless, that committee report was used as the evidentiary basis for what just happened in Colorado with that decision with the judge saying, yes, Trump was involved in an insurrection. All of that is based on the January 6th committee report, which is not itself just a list of facts. That is a biased interpretation of events, much of it contrived from the bottom up. And it certainly leaves out all information that disputes any of their central claims. I would encourage everyone out there to read Cash Patel's deposition before the January 6th committee and maybe go with that as evidence of the day, rather than what you saw on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and the television production that was the J6 committee. Now, changing subjects without a segue over the weekend, we had a runoff election for president of Argentina, and it was won by a man named Javier Malay, who seems to be essentially the Donald Trump of Argentina or at least that's kind of the face value surface level initial interpretation. And we shall see how that goes. Coverage in Zero Hedge, the headline from their article updated today, anti-woke central bank nemesis Javier Malay wins Argentina's presidential election. Javier Malay, the outsider libertarian candidate with radical solutions to Argentina's economic crisis has just won Sunday's presidential runoff against economy minister Sergio Massa. In a surprising outcome, Massa conceded in a speech to supporters in Buenos Aires on Sunday, even before the official results were released, saying he called Millet to congratulate him on his victory. Javier Millet, a 53-year-old far-right economist and former television pundit with no governing experience, claimed nearly 56% of the vote with more than 80% of the votes tallied. It was a stunning upset over Sergio Massa, the center-left economy minister who has struggled to resolve the country's worst economic crisis in two decades. And what could be the cause of such a crisis? Is it 
the global regime's great reset? Voters in this nation of 46 million demanded a drastic change from a government that has sent the peso tumbling, inflation skyrocketing, and more than 40% of the population into poverty. And with Malay, Argentina takes a leap into the unknown, with a leader promising to shatter the entire system, which the locals now correctly realize is broken. Malay, who two months ago was interviewed by Tucker Carlson, has promised to fix Argentina's perennial economic problems by making drastic budget cuts, replacing the battered peso with the U.S. dollar, and shutting down the central bank. He will take office on December 10th. Malay is quite a character, by the way. Many people have seen the videos now at this point. There's one where he walks down the length of a whiteboard, pulling off tags with the names of different leftist bureaucratic departments in the Argentine government that he plans to get rid of. He peels them off, throws them over his shoulder and says, afuera. There are pictures of him riding around in convertibles with a bunch of friends and crowds of adoring fans, a chainsaw <laughs> raised above his head. It's quite a spectacle. Honestly, this guy, if he is the genuine article and who knows at this point whether or not he is, but if he is, he is spectacularly entertaining. He is exactly my kind of political figure for this moment. Big personality, great passion knows what he wants to do, strictly anti-government and anti-regime. If all of that actually pans out and he is the Donald Trump of Argentina, for instance, this is a sign of great things to come in the world. The account End Wokeness on X, formerly Twitter, yesterday posted, holy shit, Argentina just elected Javier Malay as their next president. History has been made today, and it has a picture of Malay above the Gadsden flag, the flag with the snake that says, don't tread on me. Elon Musk responded to that post saying prosperity is ahead for Argentina. And that comes on the heels of just three days earlier, posting a picture of himself shaking hands with Xi Jinping saying, may there be prosperity for all. Donald Trump congratulated Malay on his victory. He said on Truth Social, congratulations to Javier Malay on a great race for president of Argentina. The whole world was watching. I'm very proud of you. You will turn your country around and truly make Argentina great again. Jair Bolsonaro, the quote unquote former President of Brazil posted a video call between himself and Millet, where he said, I'm really happy you have a big job ahead of you, and it's a job that goes beyond Argentina. And Millet replied, gracias. Millet later posted, Millet 2023, Trump 2024, Bolsonaro 2026. As I often say, I believe that the same playbook is playing out in different countries all around the world on slightly different timelines. And I believe that this victory by Javier Malay, if this is indeed what we're seeing and he is the genuine article, maps exactly onto the picture I describe. I think Argentina may well be a year ahead of us, or it could be, or it could be that this is Argentina's 2016. I think though that they are slightly ahead of us. If he is the genuine article and 
Argentina is no longer in the control of the global regime. That is a pretty major development. And we have a series of major developments in this last week or so. And I don't think that that's just a matter of perspective because we can see the reaction. It's not just us thinking that something is good. It's everyone in the Uniparty from standard issue villagers all the way up to the very best people in the entire world who seem to be panicking over all of this stuff. Is Javier Malay going to pursue the El Salvador model when it comes to Bitcoin? If that happens, that is a pretty major development. He's certainly anti-wokeness. They say he's a libertarian. They say he's far right. They say he's a populist in as much as he actually wants to restrict government control and government involvement in people's lives. I suppose you can call him far right. Libertarian Liam McCollum of Montana posted this on X, formerly Twitter. Okay, so Javier Malay wants to end the central bank, wants a free banking system, wants competition of money, wants to slash bureaucracies, is an Austrian economist. Quotes Ludwig von Mises. Quotes Friedrich Hayek. Quotes Murray Rothbard. Quotes Henry Hazlitt. Quotes Milton Friedman. Quotes Lysander Spooner. Quotes Bob Murphy. Calls himself an anarchist. Calls himself a libertarian. And he is apparently pro-Israel and pro-U.S. foreign policy too. But before you freak out, first, he is not president of the U.S., the world hegemon. He's the president of Argentina. He's most likely playing along to get along, considering the U.S. is the world empire and they're dollarizing, which he says is strictly an instrument to abolish the central bank and allow competition of money and free banking. And that'll be an interesting thing to watch as it develops to see what they mean by dollarizing and which definition of dollar we're currently using. Is he talking about a true stable American currency or is he talking about the global fiat currency currently branded as the American dollar? Also, I would be interested in hearing from McCollum, and I may ask him about the good twin evil twin dynamic as it exists in the United States. In my estimation, it's not good enough to say the U.S. is the hegemon. The U.S. is the world empire. It is not as if that is some permanent state of things. It is mostly an historic and maybe at this point obsolete state of things with the emergence of the multipolar world order. These are all going to be things we have to watch develop. But back to McCollum. Second, ideas are powerful. Even if he doesn't really believe the things he says about central banks and socialism, millions are hearing these ideas for the first time, and we should take advantage of that. Your Republican friends posting that one Malay clip to own the libs, sit them down and talk about Austrian economics with them. Let's just suppose Malay is a huge foreign policy hawk. Even if he is, we know he has also described central banks as parasitic institutions that steal from the public thanks to the inflation tax. Libertarians know that war and almost every other government program is financed by central banks. Without the Federal Reserve, the U.S. could not afford their endless wars. And again, my interpretation of that idea would be slightly different, and it would be a fun conversation to have. He goes on, and his ideas point in that direction. If a sizable population in the U.S. could be convinced by his ideas on central banks, which are larger than Malay himself, 
but they still believed in a hawkish foreign policy, I would still claim that's a success because they would necessarily be constrained by a sound monetary policy if we had adopted sound money and banking. Malay is a politician and he's just one man. No, we shouldn't put faith in him. Yes, we should be skeptical of him, but we should be ecstatic that our ideas are being shared globally. And so that is interesting. Libertarians putting themselves behind this movement, identifying with at least part of Millet's message and understanding the importance of getting that message out to the public, getting the collective mind to deal with these ideas. It is always interesting to see the public adopt some of these ideas when they are brought into the conversation and they penetrate the central narrative and it's not Donald Trump doing it. Whether it's Vivek Ramaswamy or Elon Musk or Kanye West or Javier Malay, it doesn't matter how the ideas get introduced into the public conversation as long as they are, because then they will be moved in the proper direction once that occurs. And part of that is because the truth community and everything around that, we are already prepared to have all of these conversations because we've been having them for years. This is like T-ball practice right now. They just set up the new conversation on the T and they say, hey, go have a swing at that. And we're like, well, thank you very much. We are absolutely ready to hit these little balls up if you keep teeing them up this way. Now, I think it's important that everybody be cautious because we're seeing this larger than life character thrust in front of people, many of them for the first time, and everyone's saying, oh, yeah, this guy totally owns the libtards. That's the absolute best thing in the whole wide world. And people who think that are generally people who consume the Daily Wire's trans content 24 hours a day. All of them had a very upsetting week last week because mommy and daddy were fighting. Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens were having a tickle fight and Candace went on Tucker Carlson to let everybody know that she's very, very America first and always has been. Even when she was saying that Donald Trump was done, what she really wanted was to be his vice president the whole time. She actually asked him that in an interview. She is absolutely ridiculous, and so is Ben Shapiro. She basically went on Tucker Carlson to try to restore the view of the Daily Wire in the massive Trump base who sees Ben Shapiro as a genocidal maniac and the entire network as a bunch of uniparty right cuckolds at this point. Owning the libs is not our goal. That just exists to preserve the uniparty left Uniparty right, controlled opposition dynamic, that's where they thrive. We don't need to help them in doing that. Javier Malay might be a great man, might be exactly what the world needs for an Argentine president, but I think we should probably just be a little patient until we know about him for longer than, you know, a month. We don't just basically need to turn all of our thinking over to all the guys out there telling us Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes so they don't sound like the traitors they are complicit in the treason of supporting the illegitimate president. We should at least wait to find out if Javier Malay is the Donald Trump of Argentina or if he's the Ron DeSantis of Argentina or the Pierre Poliev of Argentina. 
I don't think anyone should just assume that they wouldn't give us the fake version of that thing, show us and pretend that it is the real thing, the genuine article, and make us all look like fools in the process. They love doing that sort of thing, and we play into their hands by wanting something so badly to be true that when we see anything that looks like it might be, we just assume it is and attach ourselves to that thing. We should continue to observe this, but it looks like things are all pointing in the right direction as far as Javier Malay is concerned. Now, I don't think we're going to get terribly deep into this today, but it is worth mentioning that Elon Musk has announced a lawsuit that he is bringing against Media Matters for America. This is the David Brock organization. We'll talk a little bit more about David Brock in just a second. This is the New York Post from Saturday. Elon Musk vows thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters for America. Elon Musk said he was preparing a legal challenge against Media Matters for America, a liberal watchdog group which has repeatedly targeted him and X in the past. He wrote on Saturday, the split second court opens on Monday. X Corp will be filing a thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters and all those who colluded in this fraudulent attack on our company. Their board, their donors, their network of dark money, all of them. The billionaire took issue with an article from Media Matters, which accused X of running ads for Apple, Bravo, IBM, Oracle, and Xfinity next to, quote, pro-Nazi content, end quote. And no, it wasn't just Washington Post stories about the Ukrainian army. Since that story was published on Thursday, Apple and IBM both announced they were suspending advertising on X, and there have been many other organizations joining them, most all of those organizations intimately linked to the global regime, to the World Economic Forum. And as many people might remember, IBM was one of those American companies that worked directly with the Nazis and basically just went on being a major corporation in the United States of America despite that. It's almost like they didn't give us the full truth about what happened in the fallout of World War II. Musk posted a statement on X, formerly Twitter, writing in part, This week, Media Matters for America posted a story that completely misrepresented the real experience on X in another attempt to undermine freedom of speech and mislead advertisers. Media Matters created an alternate account and curated the posts and advertising appearing on the account's timeline to misinform advertisers about the placement of their posts. Media Matters is pure evil, he said in a follow-up message. Now, we were told at the end of last week that all of these companies were pulling their advertising from X because Elon Musk had amplified a quote-unquote anti-Semitic post. Basically, the people who are obsessed with calling things anti-Semitic saw a post, took it as anti-Semitic, and then made a massive deal of it. But that, of course, is not why advertisers are pulling out of X. It is ridiculous. And of course, all of the grifting influencers on the X platform are saying they're going to spend so much money 
each month advertising on X. Oh, good. They're going to advertise themselves so that they can get even bigger and more influential on the platform that they get paid to be influential on. Now, I personally suspect that these organizations were getting something substantially more than just the appearance of their product on people's timelines. They're not simply buying ad space as they would in a newspaper. They are buying access to the suite of tools that the X platform, formerly Twitter, would have to give them, which is incredible demographic and targeting information. And at a certain point, one might suspect, as I've discussed many times, these organizations have the ability to influence markets and political outcomes and to change public narratives, to boost or destroy a person's career, to cancel them. And I think all of that is probably far more significant than their little social media advertisements appearing in people's timelines. Now, what Media Matters did was manipulate the platform. They tried different things to make it look like there was a real problem, that the content from these advertisers was actually appearing just naturally because of the algorithm next to quote unquote pro-Nazi content. They essentially contrived this whole thing. They created this phenomenon out of nothing by manipulating the platform and then portrayed it to the public as if it was a big deal from Elon Musk's statement. Here are the facts on Media Matters research. To manipulate the public and advertisers, Media Matters created an alternate account and curated the posts and advertising appearing on the account's timeline to misinform advertisers about the placement of their posts. These contrived experiences could be applied to any platform. Once they curated their feed, they repeatedly refreshed their timelines to find a rare instance of ads serving next to the content they chose to follow. Our logs indicate that they forced a scenario resulting in 13 times the number of ads served compared to the median ads served to an X user. So they were trying to create as many opportunities for this phenomenon to occur. Of the 5.5 billion ad impressions on X that day, less than 50 total ad impressions were served against all of the organic content featured in the Media Matters article. So 50, five zero out of 5.5 billion. For one brand showcased in the article, one of its ads ran adjacent to a post two times. And that ad was seen in that setting by only two users, one of which was the author of the Media Matters article. For another brand showcased in the article, two of its ads served adjacent to two posts three times, and that ad was only seen in that setting by one user, the author of the Media Matters article. And of course, Elon Musk has access to all of this information. With access to that information, all you have to do is check and you will immediately notice the manipulation, one would suspect. Media Matters, I guess, just hoped no one would check or hoped that if someone did and someone caught them, no one would do anything about it or no one would believe them. Media Matters article also highlights nine posts they believe should not be allowed on X. Upon evaluation, only one of the nine organic posts 
featured in the article violated our content policies and we've taken action on it under our freedom of speech, not reach enforcement approach. And again, I'm not a big fan of that approach. Twitter is not yet a total free speech site. It's not even really that close right now. I think it's getting better. I hope Elon Musk is making it better and it's trending in the right direction, but we're not there yet. Musk writes this. Here's a summary on all this. One, X will protect the public's right to free expression. We will not allow agenda-driven activists or even our own profits to deter our vision. Two, everyone has a choice on X. User and brand control on X is superior to a year ago. Three, data wins over allegations. Media Matters does not reflect the user experience on X. And again, Elon has that data. He knows. He concludes this way. As we've seen in some parts of the world, when free expression is taken away, it is very dangerous and hard to get back. That's why the people who came before us fought so hard to protect it. Without freedom of speech, we lose the checks and balances critical to a thriving democracy. We must defend our individual rights as if our lives and flourishing society depend on it. If you're really in on protecting free speech, then we all need to protect it completely. Stand with X to protect free speech. Now, Chris Pavlovsky of Rumble quote tweeted Elon Musk's post and wrote yesterday, when I said the cavalry is coming, I was not joking. In the coming days, we are going thermonuclear as well. Everyone is about to witness the greatest pushback against the censorship regime. The people's support for all organizations in this mission is critical. Now, Chris Pavlovsky is the CEO of Rumble. He seems to be a good dude headed in the right direction. I support this message. I support what Rumble is doing quite obviously. And I am absolutely ready and waiting to see what he has in mind on all of this. Now let's talk about the David Brock of it all. We discussed about a year ago, a document that was compiled by a David Brock group called Facts First that somehow made its way to the public eye. That document talked about how they were setting up a lawfare operation and kind of a research and messaging war room to go after all of the people investigating Joe Biden in this Republican Congress, like James Comer, Jim Jordan, etc., this is from NBC last year. The article, there is a growing shadow campaign to defend Joe Biden from House Republicans. This is from November 24th, 2022 by Alex Seitzwald. So almost exactly a year ago, Seitzwald wrote, the third group facts first was started by David Brock, the former self-described right-wing hitman who then had a political conversion and used his fundraising talent to start a series of groups that have become key parts of democratic infrastructure. Those include Media Matters and American Bridge, both of which he stepped away from to start Facts First. Brock said an American Bridge donor has already pledged six figures to support Facts First, which he said would likely have a $10 million budget over two years. Co-founders include former Republican representative David Jolly, a Trump critic who has since left the party and longtime Democratic strategist Maria Cardona. Unlike the other two groups, in order to maintain its independence, Facts First decided not to formally approach the Biden White House for its blessing 
though back-channel communications led it to believe the effort is welcome. Brock, who also founded the pro-Clinton Correct the Record, said that experience taught him the new group needs to be more aggressive on social media and conduct more opinion research to understand how Americans view the controversy du jour. He said, I do believe that absent a vigorous operation like the one we're putting out, I think it makes it difficult for President Biden to be reelected. He said before quickly adding that it's the Republicans that are really making this a political issue. We are doing this in response. And he's referring to the investigations. Cites Wald notes of the new groups. Brock's appears to be working most closely with Hunter Biden and his legal team led by entertainment lawyer Kevin Morris. That's Hunter Biden's sugar brother. Raheem Kassam's The National Pulse put out this article today. How Media Matters Trying to Bankrupt X is linked to Biden and the plot to stop Trump. Joe Biden's super PAC Unite the Country was recently led by a former aide to the president who, in addition to having involvement in Hunter Biden's business deals, is also linked to Media Matters for America, the Soros-backed news site currently attempting to bankrupt Elon Musk's X, formerly Twitter. And of course, Media Matters has gone after uh, Badlands and all of us previously as well. In the first half of 2023, Unite the Country disbursed over $60,000 for, quote, fundraising consulting to Prairie Avenue Advisors, LLC, a Chicago-based company registered to Mark Doyle, who served as a senior advisor to Biden in the Senate, as well as the national finance director of Biden's 2008 presidential bid. He later became chairman of Unite the Country. Unite the Country has also joined forces with another Democratic super PAC called American Bridge Group to form a $175 million anti-Trump coalition. American Bridge Group was founded by conservative activist turned liberal henchman David Brock in November 2010. Brock now labeled, quote, one of the most influential political operatives in the Democratic Party, also founded Media Matters in 2004. The relationship between Media Matters and American Bridge is explicit and extends beyond merely sharing an office in Washington. The pair are intertwined via their strategic plan for action to fight the 45th U.S. president, which asserts, quote, we are going to resist the normalization of Donald Trump, his every conflict of interest, his every bit of cronyism, his every move toward authoritarianism his every subversion of our democratic systems and principles, his every radical departure from foreign and domestic policy norms, end quote. Oh, so powerful. Resist. Oh, resist. You can just feel the blue wave crashing down upon everyone. The power of the resistance just washing over you. Oh, the resistance. What a clown show the resistance is. I had to deal with all of that in Hollywood. And at the time, found myself aligned with those people. I was never part of the resistance, just for the record. I was like, what is wrong with these people? They're not resisting anything. All they're doing is posting online. They're enjoying the power of their own self-victimization. So the illegitimate president and his political party are directly linked to this group that is trying to censor the speech of American citizens and is now trying to take down Elon Musk as the face of X, formerly Twitter. Glenn Greenwald, the gay leftist journalist, 
And I think that Glenn Greenwald does some good work and I think his heart's in the right place, but he just happens to be a gay leftist. The only reason I mentioned that is because he would then not be a natural enemy or opponent of David Brock. But while Glenn Greenwald is a leftist, he's not kind of that neoliberal sort of uniparty left regime leftist. And because of that, he often finds himself in a position to criticize these people. He went after David Brock on X, formerly Twitter, this morning saying, I think sometimes people forget that Media Matters was created, shaped and governed for a long time by David Brock, arguably the single most craven, deceitful and amoral scumbag DC politics has ever seen. There was no way for anything decent to be spawned from that rotted root. Now, in addition to David Brock's political machinations and all of the dirty political games he plays, he has an interesting, let's say, personal life. He is the lover, partner, what do you call it, boyfriend of James Alifantis, the owner of Comet Ping Pong Pizza. And Brock is, of course, associated with and worked for the Podestas. You might remember John Podesta coming out on election night of 2016, letting the crowd of people at Hillary Clinton's gathering know that Hillary Clinton would not be making a statement that night and would not be conceding. I always wonder what people think was going on in the background of that evening. All of these people who are election fraud deniers. What do they think that Hillary Clinton and John Podesta and the rest were discussing that evening? Were they trying to determine if they could still steal the election? Very likely that is what they were doing. It's possible that by that point they knew they were caught and they were negotiating. Maybe they thought they could put enough pressure on Donald Trump so that he would not go out and claim victory. Maybe they were determining how they might live to fight another day. I don't know how anyone could look at that situation from that night and think, oh yeah, our elections are just fine and these people would never try to steal one. They do all of this right out in public. People just have to simply notice what it actually is. So we've got David Brock connected to James Alifantis, connected to John and Tony Podesta. All of these people linked into that whole Pizzagate conspiracy theory and all of that is being brought back into the public light. Now, I am not a Pizzagate expert. You can turn to Liz Crokin. Uh, Zach Payne, Red Pill 78, has some great interviews that he has done on Red Pill News over the years about Pizzagate. There are much better sources to turn to than me for the details on all of that, especially if you are approaching all of that stuff for the first time. But the stories are sickening. The pedophilia themed artwork is quite disturbing. The revelations from the Podesta emails put out by WikiLeaks are even more disturbing. And all of that stuff is being brought back into the public spotlight right now. This Elon Musk lawsuit is bringing all of that to people's attention. You got the censorship stuff on one side. If that wasn't enough, then you have all of this David Brock, Media Matters, Clintons, Podestas, Bidens, all those connections, the pedophilia stuff, the WikiLeaks stuff. This story has just about everything. I have a feeling we're probably going to spend a lot of time on it over the course of the next few months. 
It'll be one of those old stories that comes back in rerun form. And we get to see each and every element of that story probably have its own narrative through line with its own sets of reruns as the general public learns yet another thing that they were told was a conspiracy theory dreamed up by a bunch of dumb MAGA extremists and QAnons and the like on the internet. But don't worry, none of it's real. Ignore it all. You can ignore it all. We promise you can ignore it all. It seems like maybe that's not going to work this time. And there is good reason to believe the panic will continue. So Thursday and Friday this week, Thanksgiving and the Friday following Thanksgiving, I will not be putting shows out but I will have a show Wednesday. And of course I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash imyourmoderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!